Okay, welcome to episode three of the D program. This is uh, a new thing we're going to try out where we, Shannon and uh, Dexter, and my co host, Shannon, are going to record intros separate from the guest. So, for a couple of reasons, actually. One is it's a little awkward sometimes with a guest going through this. Yeah, we don't want to take up more of their time than needed. Right, and and we don't want to like kind of get them distracted. You know, it's kind of weird when you when you have a little intro before the conversation, and then also to give us an opportunity to provide some context and reflection and reflection on the yes. episode. So this episode was super fun to record. We were down in Abilene uh, as we were visiting the family farm. And so we darted. Well, the family farm is down by Stephenville. Right. But we darted over to oh, Abilene. Yeah. Yes. To, during that trip. And we met up with uh, one of my longtime friends, Erin uh, Holland. She's in Abilene currently. She explains in the episode, but she's going to get her master's yes. from Columbia yes. right now. So she usually lives in New York City, but right now because of the pandemic and some, some other family stuff. Check out the show notes in the bottom for Aaron's, a link to Aaron's Instagram. That's where I would probably recommend following her. She posts. Yeah, her master's is in art. Right, right, yes. Yeah. Sorry. So you can go to her Instagram to kind of get a feel for some of her work and her interests. Right. And so it's a beautiful Instagram, uh, very touching. She posts a lot of very thoughtful things. So... If you're looking for somebody to follow on Instagram that is a little deeper, maybe? I don't exactly know. Yeah, it's funny because I actually just started following her the other day. I did not follow her before. I guess I just did not even realize that I did not follow her. And so I watched one of her stories the other day and almost made me tear up. Yeah. It was very, very sweet. It is very sweet. She's got a great Instagram. So check that out. Um, In this episode, she actually interviewed us, which I thought was really fun. Um, She asked Shannon and myself a few questions about how we met, how I proposed. Uh, There was a few other funny stories. We talked about my recent short story, which you can hop over onto the website and read still. It's really, really good. Thank you, Shannon. Called uh, Liquid Courage. And um, she also read one of Shannon's papers, which isn't really published anywhere, is it? Technically, my... One of the papers I sent her actually is published okay. um, in a like a publishing company in India. So I guess I didn't realize that you sent her two. I did send her two, yes. Okay. Um, but so, we- yeah, I, I do have a an article in a book. It's just in India. Yeah, I think you can actually buy it off of Amazon, but it's really expensive. Mm. So that, but that was fun. She had some interesting insights after yeah, reading she both did. of our works. That was, that was fun. And then... Um, we peer into the future a bit, and this is part of what we were wanting to provide context at, on. Um, we've been kicking around the idea of possibly moving to the family farm. And, uh, you know, Aaron, I think just through us catching up and talking, was, was speaking of it as if it was like a foregone conclusion. But we don't have any dates set. We don't have anything... You know, right now it's more of just uh It's we're talking about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, tentative plan. So a little context for that. And then um, we wrapped up with uh, delving into a bit of art history and some fun conceptual convo around art. Yeah, 
It, it was. I actually really, really enjoyed the conversation. I think I like the idea of an intro because as I just mentioned a second ago, it's also a reflection. And you've been doing podcasts for a lot longer than I have. I have not recorded many episodes and it's still, it's still weird because I find myself just thinking about what I said again and again and again. So, <laughs> Well, it, it is, it does take a little while to get used to because so often, especially when you're in a conversation and, and especially this conversation where we weren't really prompted beforehand, she interviewed us, which was a fun role reversal. And yeah. it is more difficult to be thought out. Whenever you don't know exactly what you're talking about. Well, and I just, I don't know. I mean, I guess we all say stupid things, but now I'm just saying them on... Into a microphone. Yeah, into into a a microphone. So, I guess, I I don't know my point, but for anyone who listens to us, just understand that I know that I probably say stupid things occasionally. We all say (laughs) stupid things occasionally, and that's part of uh, the the, uh, price of entry, the... Learning how to not say stupid things into microphones. Well, learning how to, you're inevitably going to say stupid things in the microphone, but learning how to not let it uh, linger in your mind, you know, most people when they listen to the conversation are listening to it as a conversation and they're not stopping and lingering on every little thing. Yeah. Whereas we will, but a uh, quick couple of uh, some life updates. That was a trip to the farm. We were down there for nine days, nine days, went to the zoo, did a couple other things. It was really fun. And now Shannon is done with school. For well, the this summer. semester. Yeah. I keep saying that to people and they're like, oh, you're done. It's like, well, for with the semester, yeah. I still have more school, but I, I do get my summer off at least. Yeah. She, she couldn't line up a, a, uh, class for the summer right yeah they only had a few options and i'm in my like i'm kind of towards the end where i actually get to pick electives and it's like i don't i don't really want to just pay for just any class i kind of want it to be something that i really want to take and that just didn't work out right so So, uh shannon's going to be doing some self-directed projects this uh, summer and um we're going to be still working on the house a little bit and playing with the boys and hopefully recording a bunch more podcasts. At this point, we're going to talk about uh, a few ways that you can support the podcast. Of course, there's the easy stuff like like, share, and subscribe. Uh, Maybe even like verbally tell a friend. Also, another way to engage is to hop on Reddit. I don't think there's been any action so far in the little room that I created, but it's the D program. I'll have a link here in the show notes. Oh, I was just going to say also for any future ideas, if there's something that people just would be interested in talking about or wanting us to talk about or look into or just an interesting concept. Oh, I was just also going to say, I didn't know if you wanted to mention it now, but I think you've mentioned before the book club that we're currently doing. Uh, the, The next episode will be part one of Fight Club. So we're hoping to do a book club in conjunction with the podcast. And this, the first one is going to be Fight Club. So if you haven't read the book, I suggest you read the book. And then we're going to have a spot on Reddit where you can hop on 
listen to the episode where we talk about it and then also hop in there if you want to. Well, yeah, if there's something that you find so fascinating about the book or interesting, talk about that. Or if there's any good interviews with Chuck Palahniuk that should be taken into consideration. Like, I would love to listen to that. I I have a tab open for book clubs already. So I have a a tab open in Fight Club. So if you do, I know uh, Chuck Palahniuk a few years ago or maybe a few years ago went on Joe Rogan's podcast. And it was a really interesting interview. So I definitely suggest everybody listens to that for a little bit of context. But read the book, if nothing else. And then watch the movie. And then watch the movie. Because the movie is really good. Yeah, if most people have already seen the movie, I feel like. Just if you haven't. But if you haven't, you definitely, both in conjunction with each other, it's an amazing thing. So, and now to talk financially, support the podcast. If you, so this would typically be where we would have sponsorships or ads. But we don't currently. So <laughs> Because we suck. <laughs> well, we just started. We just started. Yeah. Um, so, but one way that you can, I was trying to think of a way where we could maybe benefit, but also our listeners would benefit. And Yeah, and without doing traditional ads. We right. don't actually want that. Uh, yes, we, we do not actually want that. So... This is a cool way. Um, if you follow down in the show notes, support under the support section, there will be a Coinbase link. If you do not currently have a Coinbase account set up, you can click that link, go over to Coinbase. This is a, a crypto exchange. exchange. If you hop on there and you put $100 in the, that account, you will get $10 of Bitcoin and I will get $10 of Bitcoin, which will go to the podcast, possibly buying some new equipment and uh, investing and stuff to make the show better. Decentralized blockchain applications will revolutionize the future. This is at the base of what cryptocurrency is. Uh, don't be shaking your head about missing out on the Bitcoin boat or missing out on the, the Doge explosion. Because the boat is still in the dock and it's still loading. And so we all need to increase our financial literacy in almost every single form of fashion. Yeah, it never hurts just to learn about anything. And I think at this point, cryptocurrency has at least proven itself as... It's here for a while. Yeah, it's not just a fad. So it doesn't hurt to learn about it just to see what's going on. And uh, that's another thing that's great about Coinbase is... Once you create an account, it actually provides you articles at the bottom of the page. Well, and then you can watch videos to earn Bitcoin, right? Uh, A bunch of different. They they reward you in tokens. But I think I've watched a few videos and I want to say I'm up to maybe $20 that I've earned just by watching videos. And and it's cool too because you're learning a little bit more about the DeFi world. Uh, So it's super beneficial, really. But so follow the link in the description and set up a Coinbase, deposit $100, you get $10, I get $10, and uh, it's the first step towards understanding the future. We'll go with that. (laughs) So uh, don't invest. Number one, I'm not a financial advisor. And number two, do not invest funds that you need immediately. This is uh, anything that you invest in there is to learn, to grow, to understand the DeFi networks and how these things work, 
because there's a lot of different stuff that goes into this. It's uh, it's incredibly complex. It's incredibly complex, and it's uh, basically a bank. You become the banker in some ways. So, of course, there's there's a high entry to that. You know, you have to learn it and you have to engage with it. But if you start engaging it now, like I said, this is this is pre-expedition, right? So, the ship has not loaded the wagons have not gone west the uh gold has not been found in california or whatever you know there's this is the beginning of opportunity this is the whispers in the in the crowd right so hop on this it's a great way to support the podcast and it's a good way to get you started down the road is there anything you would like to to add on to that no i don't think so i think it's just a win-win it's a win-win and it's it's a good way for you listeners to support the podcast while also just doing good for you. And I mean, how many of us have number one, been in the position of where you hear about cryptocurrency and you still have no clue what it is. It's kind of fun to have a little bit more knowledge than the next guy. And especially so you can start to contextualize conversations that people are having around this stuff. I mean, it's just, there'll be a lot of different things that define the twenties the 2020s, and but cryptocurrency will be one of them, I promise you. So uh, check that out, and hopefully you enjoy this episode. Uh, come back. Thanks to Aaron. Yes, thank you, Aaron, for, for giving us that time. And oh, yes, quick shout out to while we were in Abilene, we went to Grain Theory. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you're ever in or around the Abilene area, it's a great little microbrewery, coffee shop. And restaurant. And restaurant. They've got very the, good food, food very was, good drinks. The food was delicious. And Abilene was, was popping. Was it yeah, a Thursday night? It was a Thursday night, and the restaurant is downtown Abilene. And we could not find any parking. I mean, it was busy. The restaurant was busy. People were walking around. So it was just nice to see, like, a, a nice little square. I guess it wasn't technically a square. But a, a downtown that's been... Revitalized? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess revitalized. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it, it had life in it. It had life in it. Anyway, um, big shout out to them. That was a lot of fun. And uh, hopefully we'll we'll be in Abilene again sometime soon. That's oh, all we got. That's all we got. So hopefully you enjoy this episode. And uh, until we talk again, peace out. What gives you the right? Well, I am a ticking time bomb of fury. <sighs> This can't be happening, man. This isn't happening. Let's see it. Well, what if there is no tomorrow? So stop melting, lady, because the boy is hotter than hot. I'm the best chance you've got. So I guess we'll start by... <laughs> um, I, I really would love to hear you to introduce yourselves, actually. And I can give, I, I can just for the sake of the podcast, since we have listeners, no one knows who I am. <laughs> My name is Erin Holland. I'm a friend of Dexter and Shannon's. Um, I met Dexter, what year was it? Probably 2007. It had to have been, well, was I still in high school? Probably, I don't know. When did you graduate? Oh seven. Yeah, so you might have been a senior. I think okay. you were a senior coming into the college. And you were group. in young, you were in young adults. Yeah, so we met at church. Yeah. I had just moved to Dexter's hometown of Amarillo, Texas, 
and which just a quick note <laughs> we're recording a podcast in abilene we are on amarillo street we are so it's kind of, <laughs> I know. kind of weirdly <laughs> ironic i know um yeah so we met when dexter was just about to graduate i was like i had just graduated college and yeah we became friends through our little social group through church and then shannon and i met Sometime after you guys got married. I mean. Yeah, I'm trying to think. We got married in 2013. <clears throat> so it's probably right around then. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. So Shan and I met in. Around 2013, I would think. Yeah. I'm trying to think. It was at our house, right? Is that the first time I met you? Maybe. Yes. I for the podcast. So. I don't know. I feel like no? maybe I had met you at church before that. But... Yeah, that might be true. Oh, that's probably what yeah. it was. But it's just, it's been a handful of times. Yeah. <laughs> but when, so I had previously been a guest on Dexter's podcast called Panhandle Primate. And when he told me that this podcast was happening, I said, I would love to interview you and Shannon. Because um, I feel like I've had enough of my time on your podcast. Two, epi- two episodes. <laughs> I know, two episodes. I want to hear from y'all. Um, yeah, so so back to what I was saying before. Oh, and we're in Abilene because I live here currently. I've spent the last 10 or so years in New York City, and um, I'm currently in graduate school there. But because of COVID and some family um, situations, I'm back in Abilene for a little bit and living in this sweet little apartment on Amarillo Street. <laughs> so um, I wanted to ask both of you to uh, just describe y- yourselves in whatever way makes sense, if that's relationally, professionally, or otherwise. Well, what do you mean? Like, do you mean like in regards to each other? No, no, just, um, I mean, that would be interesting for you to describe each other, actually. (laughs) Um, No, just, I think it's interesting for your listeners to have a sense of who you are, who, how you would describe yourself. That is interesting. So just describe yourself. Kind of, yeah, how it So I would say a um, contrarian by nature. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say that I am inquisitive to a fault mm-hmm. and uh adventurous whereas if something doesn't feel adventurous then oftentimes i don't give it any tension or effort mm-hmm. i'm not sure if you are into the enneagram at all i know some about it okay. I, I don't know as much as a lot of people do but <laughs> dexter is a seven and okay. i feel like he is the stereotypical seven okay and they're you... called the enthusiasts okay and it's all about not wanting to be constrained by anything just wanting to go out and be able to do what you want to do be adventurous yeah. they get yeah. scared of like uh, monotony and okay just they always got to be doing something okay that makes sense and okay, are you, you all Shannon? done? I think so. I mean, I I don't think I'd, I mean, there's not, there's not too much on the surface. <laughs> <laughs> and that says a lot about you. <laughs> okay, let me think. I think at the moment, I'm a mom. That's kind of how I would describe myself just for the stage of life I'm in, right? Because I'm staying at home with two kids. So that's... Yes, almost. Well, they're one and four at the moment, almost two and five. So I stay home with them, and that's just very time consuming. So that's my main 
role at the moment. That's the title I wear most often. I'm also in school and I'm in grad school for linguistics. So I'm trying to think if I were to describe myself in the same way like Dexter did. And I've thought about this before, like when people say, like, what are three words you'd say? Yeah, yeah. And I think I would say I'm sarcastic. I'm critical. <laughs> and that might be it. She gets in trouble, like, so the people. Yeah, yes. She gets in trouble with the people that she's closest with for being mean. Like, people are always like, man, you're so mean. And but do I think you, it is. Do you, Shannon, think that you're mean? No. <laughs> I think it has I, to do with the conciseness, though. Right. Like the, I do think I am a very concise person. I don't like to say more than what needs to be said. Right. I don't like to Efficient. ramble on. Yeah. I just give me the sentence. Yeah. Be done. Yeah. And I feel like it can be very direct, and a lot of people don't appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine in Texas you might find some pushback with that because Texas yes. is not necessarily a place where people are concise in yeah. their conversation. No. <laughs> and At again, least not in my experience. I, I feel like I'm very critical. Like if I could criticize things for a living, I'd be a millionaire. Like I would. The, I mean, you I could, could be do a professional that. critic. That's a profession. <laughs> yeah. I know. I'm just in the wrong career path, I guess. Well, Maybe. We, we would really be good as like. Uh, restaurant like critics critics you know yeah. because yeah. we walk in and we're both like looking at very hmm. different things yeah but but at the same time we're both like overly critical of <laughs> yeah. which it's hard because in some aspects <clears throat> in school that's what helps me in school that's definitely that's a good quality yes the but then it's hard to turn mind. it off sometimes in other regards where I should not be overly critical but I am yeah, yeah. so that's me okay that those are good. I like those descriptions. That is kind of a good segue to I want to hear how you guys met. I think I've heard this story maybe a mini version of it, but mm-hmm. I want everyone to hear how you met for if you remember the first moment you saw each other. Yes, we do. I remember Dexter, I don't know if he remembers. Well, so it's so I was working. I was on the fire department. Uh we were shopping at the grocery store. And I was in the grocery store. And Shannon store. was in the yeah. grocery store with her with mom. mom. Okay. So at the time, she was a 19-year-old college student. Mm-hmm. And I was 24-year-old. 20, you were 23. Three when yeah. we met. 23. Mm-hmm. Firefighter, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, cute girl in the grocery store. Well, so what happened is we're both in the checkout line, just an aisle apart from each other. Yeah. So I'm sitting with my mom. I can't remember exactly what we were talking about, but I was complaining about there being no cute men in Amarillo. And is the fact that you're in line behind her intentional on your part, Dexter? No, not okay. at Completely all. random. Really, Completely okay, random. by chance. Well, okay. we, I think we saw each other earlier in the produce. <laughs> we looked over the bananas. <laughs> that's but, I mean, that's it, a good title for the episode. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things that, like, you know, when you're – and this – it's – any firefighter will be able to relate. But people just – I mean, we get hit on by old ladies all the time. <laughs> and then there's like young, you know, younger girls or what, you know, that you're just kind of like, you kind of catch them and you're like, they, they see uniforms walking around <laughs> and they're like, oh, firemen are so hot. You know, it's not, they're not looking at you, you know, they're I just was see- looking at you. Yeah, Shannon was looking at me. But. So anyways, we're standing there and again, I'm talking to my mom about, I was sad so single and I didn't know anybody that I wanted to date or I just was down about dating yeah and my mom was like well what about that guy he's cute and she points (laughs) at Dexter Uh uh-huh 
And I kind of like look at him. We make eye contact. So you didn't hear her, her mom say that? No. Okay. We were just so probably bantering with the <laughs> checkout lady. <laughs> so my mom is saying to me, go go talk to him. Mm-hmm. Go up to him. And he was with his whole crew. And yeah. I'm not that bold. I was like, there's no way. That's I can't. I can't do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That would be ruined. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he leaves and that was it. And that that was what we thought was the end. Goodbye. Well, wow. my mom has a friend who grew up around Amarillo, just knows everybody. Mm-hmm. So, and they, she was our neighbor. Okay. So we were heading home. We stopped in to say hi to her. And my mom was just telling her like, oh, well, there's this cute fireman that Shannon didn't talk to. Yeah. So her friend picks up the phone and calls the fireman <laughs> she knows. <laughs> and is like, hey, we need to know a name of somebody. Whoa. Can you tell us who would be at this station or at this grocery store at this time? Uh- Wow. And it turns out that the guy she called had been my driver the majority of my career. Or up to that point, I think I'd only been on for like three years, wow. four years. How many firemen are in Amarillo, by the way? Total, uh, probably think? like 250 okay, plus. Okay, so that's a lot of guys yeah. to Well, and that's what he said. Is he, he was like, it could have been anybody. Exactly. You know, like brown hair uh, <laughs> guy, you know, yeah. whatever. Uh, but he was, he was like, oh... Dexter, I bet it was Dexter, or uh, I don't know who that was, but Dexter's young and single. Oh. Yeah, so he was like just- But you also didn't know he was single, so that was a good guess on the guy's part. Yeah. 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 So he gives me, he actually gave me like Dexter's name, phone number, address, everything. Which he did? (laughs) Yeah. That's how, I mean, I, I didn't. I thought she Googled her like. No, I'm pretty sure he gave it to her. Huh. Wow. Anyway, all he, I did was look at I didn't even know he would have known my name. I didn't even know. I just know my mom was like, well, do you want to drive by his house? I was like, no, I'm I'm not going to be that crazy. Which was okay? probably a good move because <laughs> I had couches everywhere. No comment. Yeah. Uh-huh. So <laughs> I just got his name. I looked him up on Facebook. And at the time, your profile picture was like this Halloween costume of you in this like ruffled suit. I was like, I don't know. I don't <laughs> I know about a, this. I think I had a mustache and I was like drinking a Corona or yeah. something. So you were like, this is the guy, but the suit's not doing it for me. Yeah. I was yeah. like, do I'm I really sure. want to go through with this? Okay. But I did. So I made up a complete story because I didn't want to be like, hey, do you remember me from the grocery store? Whoa. That's weird. So I like made up this story. I was like, hey, so-and-so gave me your name just... You know, he he was trying to hook you up and ha ha, like here I am. Whoa. I don't know. Tr- I didn't want to sound creepy. And so he I- had instantly called me and was like, <laughs> hey, dude, uh, some girl, evidently she tried out for the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders at one point or something. And um, they called me and so I gave her your number so she'll probably be hitting you up. So like he like gave me the story and she's yeah. giving me this completely like oh blah 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 yeah. so it was a pretty funny okay so you got the message after he had already called you yes you got the message so he from already her. knew I was lying yeah okay. he, he called okay. he called me as soon as he got off the phone okay and was yeah. like hey man I just yeah blah blah I gave out your name you know <laughs> okay so so I messaged him and then he had me over for pizza yeah we kind of. Went back and forth on Facebook, and then she came over for pizza and uh, criticized your pizza. She criticized my pizza. She criticized a lot <laughs> of stuff, but a it, critic. And it was kind of one of those things where it was like uh, into us dating. It was kind of like a trickle into us mm-hmm, dating. Like, mm-hmm. kind of like I was like, I don't know about her, and she was kind of the same way. Like, I don't know about him. We we're, yeah. my we're favorite in slightly part different life stages and stuff. So yeah, is that after our first date. 
I talked to my mom and she's like, how was it? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I, you know, she's like, well, what do you yeah. think of Dexter? I was like, I don't know. Yeah. She's like, was it good? I was like, I don't know. Like, and she was like, well, what, what does that mean? I was like, you'd understand when you meet him. I don't know how to describe it. It's like, not sure if it's good. And she was like, well, will there be a second date? It's like, I think so. I got to figure this thing yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know is not a bad, that's not a bad thing to feel necessarily because at least there's a little bit of curiosity. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a no. No, yeah. exactly. Oh, it was just so it nice. definitely wasn't a no. Come <laughs> it on was now. just so, <laughs> Dexter's just an oddity and I wasn't sure how to handle it at the time. Well, and I was, I'm, I've always kind of been into like playing games not like games in the psychological or uh, the relational sense. Not yeah, not games in the relational <laughs> sense, but games in like the psychological sense and stuff. You know where it's, it's kind of like, let's see how she does in a weird situation. <laughs> you know, well, you, I don't even remember if this was before we met or after we had started talking. I don't remember because yeah. there was a little bit of time where we were texting before I went to his house. Okay. Oh yeah, I was in North Carolina. Yeah, and like he would send me this picture of a cemetery. I remember that one. He's like, I saw this and I thought of you. I did not say I thought <laughs> yes, of you. Yes, I did. You said, "What are you doing?" And I was like, "I'm walking around a cemetery." No, no, because it was Dexter's kind like, of it random. Was my, test, my psychological test. Was like, that huh. wasn't even a psychological test. It's a beautiful <laughs> <Yeah>. cemetery. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how to take this again. Yeah. The oddity. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. weird. But yeah. so I, I would say that. The first time that I knew that I was going to have a long-term relationship with Shannon mm-hmm. was uh, we were drinking beers up on my roof. This was our second date. This okay. was the second date. Okay. And so we had to climb up onto my neighbor's carport roof and then through a tree to yeah. get up on my roof. Yeah. And we got up there and watched the sunset and we were drinking some beers and then we're getting down off the roof. Mm-hmm. And the way I would get off mm-hmm. is I'd grab a branch and swing <laughs> over to the carport, you know? Like Tarzan. Yeah, yeah. Kind of tarzan <laughs> And then I would get over there and then I'd help Shannon through the tree. Mm. And mm-hmm. yeah, so to get up, I climbed through the tree. She had to climb through the tree. And I so uh, she, at this point, is kind of feeling brave. And she's like, you know, girl power, whatever. <laughs> I can do that. Uh-huh. And so she I wanted goes, to swing through the tree. So yeah, she, goes, she goes for the swing and her foot like barely touches the carport with her toe Uh huh. and she misses. And then she just plummets straight <laughs> oh. down. So pretty much, I mean, it was probably a 12 foot drop. Oh, and no. what she and Dexter land- has a wheelbarrow full of like beer bottles in his backyard because he's a bachelor. Well, <laughs> no, it actually had, it's more dangerous than that. I had been building my fence and so oh, I had man. like wire, like uh, the wire that they used to band the Oof. the yeah. uh, pickets together, yeah, and concrete, oh, and man. like the top of posts that I'd cut off. So like you know, Oof. circle. I mean, it was dangerous, yeah. and it had water in it. It probably had yeah, like that's the grossest part. It, it probably had, had like water. six yeah. inches of rainwater in it. Yeah, and so she falls off of my roof Oof. into this <gasps> wheelbarrow, and I'm like. I mean, at this point, it's like pitch black. We watched the sunset. Yeah. We've been up on the porch, and uh, I guess probably at this point, I can't statue of limitations, but she was underage, so we were drinking beer. I think his first thought was, oh, crap, she's underage. I'd be giving her beer. <laughs> we were drinking beer on this roof. I was like, oh, girl's only like 19 or whatever. And so I'm like looking, looking over the edge, and she's in the darkness, oh, and I'm man. like, oh, I'm going to have to take this girl with a broken ankle to the emergency room yeah. or something. And I'm like, are you okay? And she responds back, oh, darn. 
like, oh, darn. And she, I'm like, are you are you hurt? And she was like, no, I'm just a little embarrassed. <laughs> and so I took her out into the yard and well, hosed no, so her off. A, and then we. No, so so we, I get it. He helps me. Like, yeah. I get out of the wheelbarrow. Yeah. I'm just kind of disgusting from being in the water. I'm just had like water all over my legs and everything. Yeah. So he's like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm good. I'm just kind of dirty. Can I go like inside and just clean up? Yeah. He goes, well, how about I hose you off? <laughs> <laughs> the fireman. Yeah. Like, Which well, I actually think. Okay. That, that's reasonable. Yeah. I mean, it was, she was disgusting at that point. You know, she'd fallen into some stagnant water. Uh, but at that point, I was kind of like, you know, she can probably hang around for a while. Cause and what was it specifically about that whole I mean, moment that was first like, off, just that the, was it for you. Just the durability yeah. of her, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's like yeah. this girl's oh, darn. this yeah. girl's durable, yeah. you know. And and yeah. the fact that she wasn't like throwing a fit or yeah, you know, she's like she, she took the whole thing with like uh, laughing with yeah. a great attitude, and yeah. we ended up having fun the rest of the night. And yeah, you know, yeah. It, it was yeah. it was just a. Whereas I think that there's a lot of you have to have that kind of personality to be around me because like you know resilient like, yeah i mean i feel like all of our encounters like continuing after that were even that way because yeah. even our proposal we were broken down on the side of the road in a van really yeah, okay tell this, me that story so i'd bought this like camper van off this guy he was and, gonna it, remodel. and he was like okay. a, he was a redneck dude and uh-huh. so it was like a blacked out the windows were tinted super Black dark. windows, mm-hmm. but it had like a electricity in it and a mini fridge and a mm-hmm. bed and all that stuff. And so we were going on a trip up to Colorado and I was... This is... Hold on. Sorry. How many years into this? Like how, how long We did, did it for stay? a year. Okay. Yeah, we did it for a year. Okay. And then so we're, we're about to... We're about to head up to Colorado and um, I was going to propose to her mm-hmm. in a campground in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We... Get to Dalhart, right? The the if you're from Dalhart, I feel sorry for you. you know, <laughs> where like, is Dalhart? I so, actually don't know where it well, is. Like I've heard of it. Minutes away yeah, so like if you're heading okay. from Amarillo to Colorado, you drive yeah. through Dalhart. Okay, you didn't make it very far. It's yeah, nor- it wasn't north. Yeah, it was maybe fifty minutes, maybe an hour. Okay, I don't know, maybe more than that. Probably about an hour outside yeah. of Amarillo. Okay, and my van overheats or whatever. <laughs> and then we like make it like coast through Dalhart and then like up this, you know. And we then, had to get out and almost push up a hill. Yeah, it oh, ends up man. it ends up cooling off. And oh, so we're heading back. It's be a long drive to Colorado. Yeah. So, well, we turn around. We're done. Okay, you know, so, okay. well, we were going to go back to Amarillo and get my other car, yeah. my Subaru, and then drive up. Yeah. So we're driving back and then it dies again and then it dies again. <laughs> and then we end up on the side of the road and it was hot. The car won't even run. We can't run the AC. Mm. And so we at this point just had to wait for his mom to come tow us yeah. back or yeah. something wow. like that. So my mom had to go to Shannon's mom because Shannon's dad at the time had a big old truck, big okay. F. But my mom was too scared to yeah, tow Yeah, but us she back wouldn't tow herself. us back. So my mom had to go to Sherry's house pick up mm-hmm. the truck and Sherry and then drive wow. to Dalhart to tow it. It had already been tow- hours at this point that we've right. just been stuck in Dalhart. Okay. Yeah, it's just Ugh. terrible. The whole thing's terrible. Oh, and I'm like, I was going to propose to her that night. You know, mm-hmm. we were going to have a good evening or whatever. And so we're just sitting there drinking beers on the side of the road and it's hot. And they're hot beers. Yeah. <laughs> no, they were cold. They were not. They were warm they because it was warm. hot outside. We didn't have anything. We didn't think we'd be anything drinking cool them. It. Yeah. yeah. They anyway, so we're like drinking these beers and Shannon was like, 
she was like, you know, if I had to be stuck on the side of the road, I'm glad it's with you. Aww. And I was like, well, that's a good segue into a proposal. <laughs> <laughs> so we have proposed broke down in a Texas heat on romantic. the side of the road. She said yes. It's romantic. <laughs> well, it's then, a better story than doing it at some, you know, beautiful campsite. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's so funny. It's very because, unique. Yeah. And I still see like uh, occasionally on Facebook, it'll pop up. Somebody's like proposed and it's like these beautiful pictures <laughs> and everything's like planned out perfectly. When the this. girl's like all dressed up with yeah. her nails yeah. done, you know, and the guy yeah. like prepared a band or something. Yeah. This one is like literally. And then every time we drive through Delhart, it's like, oh, see those grain elevators? That's our spot. Yeah, that's where I proposed. That's nice. The, yeah. the, next to the propane filling station. Yeah, <laughs> so, I love that. Yeah. So that's kind of our, our relationship. Yeah. Condensed yeah. microcosm of our yeah. whole relationship has been yeah. that. But it it's always been good because she's always had a great attitude. Um, and he said he didn't want to like set me up with high expectations. Yeah. <laughs> You succeeded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can only go up from here. Yeah. Um, so I think that's actually a good segue to something I wanted to ask you because you, we talked about this before, but you previously had a podcast called Panhandle Primate where you were um, doing one-on-one interviews with people. And then about how long ago was it? Six months? You started a new podcast uh, no, a year ago? No, not that long ago. Okay. For this, this podcast? podcast? Uh-huh. Just a couple months yeah, ago. Yeah, just a couple months. Yeah, so you decided yeah. to invite Shannon into mm-hmm. the conversations. And I'm really interested to know um what like how that shifts the how that shifts the dynamic for you and how your vision of the podcast has evolved over time because you've been doing this for a few years now. Yeah. And I'm curious to know from both of you how does it feel to be in these conversations together and what is it that clicks and so Shannon um just i she she always had like a dislike or something for the old podcast like the any, first one the first one yeah. like anytime we would get ready to I'd get ready to do it Shannon was always like throwing me shade or kind of <laughs> like she was like mad. Or I think something. that's a bit unfair because <laughs> it did like the podcast would take several hours mm-hmm. just to have someone come in, do the podcast, talk, right. things like that. Right. I did have a baby at the time. Yes, and, I uh, remember. You know, so it was very much like, okay, how do I keep a baby quiet for hours? Yeah, that's hard. While I stay in the other room. It was not a good setup at the time no. for a podcast. Well, and I mean, I think that's like the story of podcasting is it's DIY, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm in your the space that you have your you know shoestring budget or whatever and Mm -hmm. so i think what was real what was interesting about that podcast is it was really dexter style shooting from the hip Mm -hmm. not really knowing what i was doing uh just trying to get into conversations Mm -hmm. and it was interesting one of the critiques i would get back a lot of the time was one was man i i was trying to listen to your podcast but i couldn't take it you know, because there's just like these random periods of time where you're telling this stupid story and, mm-hmm. you know, these tangents. And I mm-hmm. mean, anybody who's like had a just a normal conversation with me mm-hmm. has experienced it where it's just <laughs> like the Dexter suck, you know, the rabbit trails. Yeah. And so <clears throat> I was always I just wanted to do a podcast. So I right. jumped in and it was mostly unconscious. Well, Shannon, what we were getting in these we were having conversations all the time. 
kind of behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. She was trying to help coach me, uh, or we were trying to work on concept and this and Mm -hmm. that. And then it finally came to the point where do you, do you ever listen to Joe Rogan's podcast? A little bit. I have. Yeah. After you've talked about it. So like Jamie, he has young Jamie Mm -hmm. who's like his computer guy Mm -hmm. and he'll like Google stuff and pull stuff up. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, originally that's what I saw Shannon as like kind of in the background, uh, running support kind Mm -hmm. of. Well, and it would drive me crazy because Dexter would have people on and some of them may not know Dexter before this. Right. So these people who are unfamiliar with Dexter or, you know, not familiar enough to maybe know Dexter or to feel comfortable enough Mm -hmm. to jump in and say things. Right. And so it always bothered me because Dexter has this tendency to uh, like misquote things Mm -hmm. or to pretend that he knows things that he doesn't know. Mm hmm. And it would, no one would check them. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, no, that's not, that's mm-hmm. not the fact. Mm-hmm. You're saying it wrong. It would continue on. Yeah. But I think that when it's, it, it shouldn't be the interviewee's job to correct. Right. And not, I mean, it's just a, it's a joke between, or I, I like to make fun of Dexter about, because with linguistics, I'll always tell him something, like come home from class and say, here's what I learned. Mm-hmm. And then later that evening, I'll hear him say say what I told him to someone else, mm-hmm. but it's all jumbled up. Mm-hmm. And they're like, wow, Dexter, you're so smart. <laughs> and I'm like, what is going on right now? <laughs> well, no, this is really interesting because before this podcast, you both sent me, I asked if you could send me some writing, like some, you know, just recent things you've been thinking about. Dexter sent me a paper that was a short story about a young man who stumbles into a bar it, in my mind, it was Amarillo. I don't know mm-hmm. where it actually was. Oh, yeah. Small Texas town. And he's wanting to just have one last drink before he plans to commit suicide. He meets this older man. This kind of gruff gentleman strikes up a conversation with him. And they, you know, the, the short story is about the kind of transformation that happens through that conversation. And Shannon sent me two papers from her linguistic studies, which were like, I mean, these two papers were nine day from each other. Oh, yeah. Different. And Shannon's papers were about the linguistics and um, how can I summarize them? There's so much, I mean, there's so much detail. There's, um, you talk a lot about the impact of colonialism into the educational system mm-hmm. and how how the how the trickle down ends up affecting different communities. Yeah. And what I thought was interesting about these two very different, uh, like these very different lines of thought was that I, I wrote this down that there's a sense in both of this kind of reaching for empathy that, both of you are kind of like reaching to cr- like pass across bridges that divide people or, or kind of reach into these spaces where the hope has been killed and, and kind of interrogating like, what are, what are the ways in which we revitalize this hope? So I would, I was curious for both of you, what, what do you see as being like, where, where do you think that feeling comes from? Do you think that there's something of that that's in the core of connection between the two of you? Do you, I mean, is that something that you feel is true based on what you've written? Well, so it's, it's interesting because, uh, 
we both spill over into each other's works, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A moderate amount. Like, as I was writing that short story, I was, Shannon was my main person rereading it. Yeah. And kind of challenging some of what I was getting at. And right. then uh, we were also like, we, it's fun. I actually really enjoy writing short stories and, and having Shannon around for it mm-hmm. because we do, like, I do get to, we start talking about the young man. Okay, well, who is the like? Mm-hmm. Why? Okay, well, what's what's he? Why? Okay, what's he doing there? What's he saying this? What's he? And you know, and then you kind of like dig into it. Well, mm-hmm. I think the same thing's true with her, with her scholastic papers. Mm-hmm. She'll she'll be doing the same thing, and we'll be having coffee in the morning, having these conversations where we do end up spilling over. Uh, Shannon can could jump in on this, but people would probably say I'm not empathetic in a lot of ways. So, for instance, uh, I've just seen a lot of situations. The problem is not necessarily societal. It's the person's decisions. But how do you separate societal projections onto a person and and a person's individual decisions? Whenever you really start to look at it, it's like, okay, if a a person is uh, fat and out of shape, can't get off the couch, but they're drinking two-liter coca-cola all mm-hmm. the time mm-hmm. well whose fault is that it's like coca-cola uses psychologists to make you want it they use flavor scientists to make yeah, you want sugar. it I mean, they're addicting like they they do everything mm-hmm. they 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 stack all the decks to make this person want it so is it their fault for wanting it you know well i think this is where we are very much on the same page in our interests is we're both very interested in the macro level right idea of things right so i think neither of us are very empathetic people on a personal level right and i don't mean that to sound bad but those things like i've, I've had people tell me like i'm not a very sensitive or emotional person mm-hmm. i'm not and if someone's dog dies like i'm sorry dogs die that's mm-hmm. i'm sorry like i don't mm-hmm. mean to be mean but that mm-hmm. is life mm-hmm. but then even when we were preparing for the zombie episode and I was reading about zombies and I was reading about like the idea that they were scared that they were scared that they maybe were or okay I guess we're talking about Haiti I didn't contextualize that but like if Haitians slay Haitians I'd say it Mm -hmm. Uh, Haitian yeah yeah. Haitian slaves were concerned that they maybe are just subordinate people and that even in an afterlife they would still be slaves Mm. then maybe they could not die and enjoy their afterlife and that for them death was like their only hope Mm. and like that i was almost in tears reading about that Mm -hmm. because like that bothers me Mm. i don't care if an individual person's dog dies but when we're talking about a nation of slaves who are concerned that they may not die and have a good death right oh it gets to me and i feel like we're both on that where it's like what what is society's responsibility? Because especially in today's society, right? It's very big. We live in a in a very complex society, very big society. Um, the amount of power just that companies have like, and the government has, like what what's the responsibility with that? Mm-hmm. Because it does affect people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's even though one's creative writing and one is more academic writing, mm-hmm. I feel like those are still the topics that we right. meet eye to eye on. And right. so it's easy to come to each other for those type of opinions yeah. or thoughts. Yeah. You know? And how do you think that having Shannon on the show has changed it 
what can you tell so far? Um, I, what I would say is I think it keeps me a little bit more, uh, honest is maybe the way to say it. It's like, um, you know, whenever like, you know, that there's somebody that's sitting there with like a bullshit button, it's just like, (laughs) just waiting, just itching to press it. Anytime it's like, nope, nope, that's bullshit. You're, you know, so I, I think it, I think that helps. I think it's also, um, legitimized it a little bit more for me. Hmm. It's a little bit. So, and a little bit of this comes from the fact that I did listen to a lot of Joe Rogan and that was kind of in my mind what podcasting was, but Mm -hmm. it was almost like a, a revelry of sorts. It was like. No, you know, we need to be drinking beers. Mm. We need to be getting a little mm-hmm. wild, which is like, how do you get wild? I don't, I'm, I'm not a <laughs> wild person, you know, but it was kind of like, you there know, there was a different vibe. Yeah. It, it needed to, it needed to be, um, I wouldn't say outrage or shock because I never did anything like that kind of stuff, but it almost felt like, I almost felt like I was like, okay, um, the, the Dexter I need to be putting out there is, needs to be, like hyper Dexter, right? Kind of like it. Need, right. it I need to be, I need to be performing. I need to be, right. you know. So, I think, uh, I think having Shannon on the show, kind of, it kind of gave me a little bit of confidence to just be like, no, I don't need to be like hyper Dexter. I just need to be Dexter. I just Present, need to be. Yeah. I need to be the the guy that when we're drinking coffee in the morning. Yeah. And we're talking about whatever. That's yeah. that's who at least she's encouraging me to be yeah. on the show. Yeah. So it, it's a little bit more controlled, a little bit more um, condensed almost. Mm-hmm. So that's really where I would say, uh, you know, I was actually really down on the podcast. I went through paramedic school and I didn't do hardly any episodes of the Pain Out Primate podcast during that just because of time constraints and, right. and life and stuff. And then as we were coming out of the backside or as I was coming out of the backside of paramedic school, I was just, I wasn't really inspired. Like I was kind of like, okay, you know, I guess I could start, you know, setting up interviews with some people and this and that. And and we kind of were, and, uh, I don't know. I just, for whatever reason, wasn't inspired, but then once it was actually the name, the, the D program name we were kind of thinking, we was like, man, maybe we should start a new podcast or something. And then it was like, ah, but what would you call it? What's the name or whatever? And then that kind of, I don't remember if you came up with it or I came up with no, it. I think or you did. I don't just remember like popped how. into my head. Yeah, and, and I was like, oh, that's it. You know, like we need to, we need to be critical of these macro movements in mm-hmm. society mm-hmm. and condense it. Cause that's one of the things that Shannon, well, we both were very critical of the larger societal movements. And then so with young kids, mm-hmm. especially. I was going to ask about the kids. Yeah, yeah, when you start to see stuff and I'm like, is that what I believe? Is mm-hmm. that what I'm going to teach my kid? Yeah, you have a different lens and I can when see, you're a parent. Even with with being a stay-at-home mom, there's almost a life that you fall into. Mm-hmm. And you don't mean to, mm-hmm. but you just get this routine. And it's really easy. It's really simple to just go to Target and go shopping. Mm-hmm. because that's your outing without the kids or even mm-hmm. with the kids, you can take it by groceries and at least look at clothes or something. And I, I see how that's what moms do. 
Like Meaning I see how this is the way people spend their time. Is yeah, in because it can be hard adventures. to take yeah. kids other places. It can yeah. be hard to go to Powder or Canyon. It can be hard to do things with kids. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy to just fall into this way of life of, well, I take my kids here and then I go shopping here and then. Well, and it's like one of those things you don't even you you wouldn't realize until you have a kid or you're traveling with a small kid, but even sometimes trying to find a changing table, right? You know. It's I know just, I was thinking about that actually when you guys came. <laughs> I thought you were going to have your kids, and I was like, "Oh no, I need to prepare something." Well, seeing yeah. yeah, I mean, it's 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 impossible to have them around a lot of the time. I mean, they're mm-hmm. great. They're both. They're of them just are in great that kids. young. They're very young. Yeah, you know, yeah. one year old. You can't yeah. explain things to them yet. They don't right. know anything. So, yeah. but like so much of society isn't set up for you know a, a mom to come mm-hmm. in with kids. You know, yeah. it's, mm-hmm. it's so almost. I, an inconvenience it's a very much an inconvenience but yeah so i feel like it's really easy to fall into a way of life but then whenever i actually stop and think about it it's like is this is this a life i believe in yeah for me personally no there are other people who may and that's fine Mm -hmm. for me i look at it and it's like i can't i this isn't what i want to teach them this isn't i want to be intentional with what i'm passing down Mm. And I can see how it's easy to be very unintentional. And mm-hmm. so to circle back to the question, where does Shannon's role come in? It 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 was one of those moments where I realized like, yeah, the, the goal is to deprogram this out of our society. Right. And it's these things that we have these morning conversations about or throughout the day or whenever we're talking about them. Mm-hmm. The, the goal is to have, and I don't know, I don't know what effect we can have on the larger society. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's just hearing somebody say something that it, that can, can uh, shift your perspective enough to allow you to change your own mind. Like I've never wanted this podcast to be about changing somebody's mind, mm-hmm. but I wanted to shift somebody's perspective to where they can change their own mind. Mm-hmm. And so uh, once once we came up with that concept, that's whenever I really started getting excited about doing the podcast again. Yeah, and so I would say that is pretty, the whole thing was pretty much dependent upon Shannon playing that role in mm-hmm. it of of it being more of a coming at it from two directions, right. kind of like a grounded, and then an you know there's Shannon a, being the groundy grounding, me being kind of more airy, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. And how, I mean, so before the episode started, we were talking about you moving to Stephenville. You're currently living in Amarillo. You'll be moving to Stephenville in the next month or so. In the fall. In the fall. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So is that move? Probably. Tell me, yeah, yeah, tell me more about the move and if the move to Stephenville, which is where your parents live, Shannon, yes. is that part of this feeling that you've had of wanting to change intentionality how how does your desire for more intentionality factor into the day-to-day with your kids and decisions well so for me again I I look at my life as a stay-at-home mom and just again trying to be intentional with what I want to teach them mm-hmm. and I don't think the life we have now is bad I don't want anyone to listen and think yeah. that they have to change what they're doing because mm-hmm. it's bad or that I'm judging them mm-hmm. it's just for me mm-hmm. it's not what I want that's it's a hard I, I don't hate what I do I love staying home with my kids mm-hmm. but I don't always like the confines that I'm 
in in Amarillo. And when so, you say that, what do you mean? What are the confines? Um, like if we go outside, it's in our backyard. If we go want to go out, it's to a store. Well, and, or, and specifically, like during the coronavirus, uh, they had all of the playgrounds roped off mm, with caution tape. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, you know, we it that uh, specific experience really helped us to realize like, okay, a lot of these aspects of being in a city Mm. that makes being in the city really appealing Mm -hmm. can be kind of taken away pretty quickly. And then what are you left with? You know, we were, we're very lucky with the house that we have and we have a big backyard and everything. Yeah. But still, I mean, I just feel like I believe in a life that's very sustainable and that's not necessarily what we live currently in Amarillo. Mm-hmm. And I do want to get to a place to where we can grow more of our own food, have more of our own space, and be able to just rely on ourselves more. That's what I believe in. Mm-hmm. And I it kept bothering me that I say one thing, and I feel like when I would get into conversations with my friends, I would always say these things. Like, oh, well, this is what I believe in, we all need to be doing this and this, but I'm not doing it. Mm -hmm. And it really bothered me. And then how am I supposed to teach my kids? Mm -hmm. You know, oh, it's really important to know where your food comes from. Mm -hmm. But let's go to the grocery store and buy a package of something. Right. And again, that's not bad. I just, food is one thing that I'm really passionate about. Mm -hmm. And I want my kids to know where food comes from. Mm -hmm. And I'm not really doing that right now. Mm Mm-hmm. We we have a small garden in Amarillo, and I try what I can, but I just want to do more. Well, and, and specifically um, with with the move and uh, the possibility of a move and all that stuff, I think more it was just um, like we've got uh, we've got opportunities. I think mm-hmm. for so long I felt like okay. Um, I've gotten lucky with how things have fallen to this point. So like why try to change anything whenever I've been blessed up to this point, Mm -hmm. you know, like why try to change the trajectory and risk, you know, like kind of a risk versus reward model. And so I think kind of, I think we're both in this spot where it's, it's an opportunity to imagine a life that neither of us were really allowing ourselves to imagine so that that for me because i'm i'm really happy at work i'm really happy with my friends uh for the most part um i don't know if i would say that we necessarily like we're not really going to church or anything anymore so um that's kind of a you know toss up don't know if we're gonna find a church anywhere else but it's kind of one of those things where you, you start to It's like, what is keeping you in one spot? And if you have an opportunity to do something else, like, well, maybe you're not going to lose anything Mm -hmm. by doing a new opportunity. I feel Mm -hmm. like every time I'd go through it in my head of, okay, Amarillo or Stephenville, like, which one do I pick? Every time that I kept coming back to choosing Amarillo, I felt that it was very fear-based of, I'm scared to make a decision outside Mm -hmm. of this, therefore I will stay right here. And I almost just want to move just to say I can do it because I've never lived elsewhere. I was going to ask, what are the fears? What are the fear factors in moving? You told me before we started the 
episode, your parents live in Stephenville. So there is a bit of a safety net having, they have land. There's a place that you can stay. Uh, You know, there's some, there's kind of a setup that you're walking into that makes Mm. that feasible in some ways. But what are some of the fears that you have like jumping into that now? I, well, I feel like both of us, well, both of us are the babies of our family. And in a way I feel like for a while it was, we never pictured anything else because I feel like we just always kind of took what came to us. Mm-hmm. And n- neither of us chose to be in Amarillo. We we're just here because our families were here, right? Yeah. And I think we just always accepted things. And it's this weird shift, like psychological shift to say, okay, I can actually decide things in my life. And I feel like both of us maybe just recently made that shift of actually having more of an act of control on our more decisions. Agency, yeah. Yeah. Well, and for me, it's stability. I mean, like I've, I've now been at my job for coming up on 12 years. Wow. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Man. So I've, I've been on for 11 years wow. and then beyond just my main source of employment, I've got part-time work anytime I want it from multiple different places. I mean, it's like, um, it's just kind of one of those things where it doesn't, Amarillo, it's not risky for me to be there. And you're a seven. And I'm a seven. (laughs) And so it's kind of one of those things where, and I've felt that from pretty early on in, in my career of like, is this it? Like, well, mm-hmm. we have talked about moving before. We had originally talked about moving to Colorado, I think, before we even had kids, just because we wanted to do something. And it always came back to Dexter's retirement. Like, well, he has a very good retirement in Amarillo, and why would we leave that? Yeah. That's and then the I'm like, a lot of people have. Yeah. Well, and I'm pretty, I'm outside of a pretty narrow margin. I mean, I don't have a college degree. You know, the all the only school I have is fire department and paramedic, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like the the fire service isn't very easy to ju- it's not like a transferable thing. You know, you kind of have to go through it's a whole specific. new hiring process and yeah. you have to do all these different things. So it was kind of one of those things that always came down to. I mean, honestly, for me, fear. It's just like I'm. How do we leave something so comfortable? Well, and mm-hmm. like I'm only valuable within like this pretty narrow um, channel, you mm-hmm. know. And and I, it's part of the reason I ended up being a fireman was because mm-hmm. I I don't have a very broad imagination as to careers, you know. So I it's like oh fireman, and it's like you you go into any elementary school, and half of the boys are going to be like, oh, I want to be a fireman when I grow up. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, everybody, you know, so mm-hmm. I, I think that that's kind of the unknown of like, like insurance and in like, how do you, how do you have a life, a mobile like that you can, that you can move whenever you're um in a, like only narrowly valuable it's kind of how I viewed myself. Yeah. So it sounds like maybe for both of you, the question of vocation is smaller than the larger desire that you have to, I don't know, to challenge yourself, to to put yourself in a position where you're not comfortable anymore. Yeah. And where do you think that comes, where are those questions coming from? I mean, 
it sounds like you've had some dis-ease being in Amarillo in the comfortable climate there, but like deeper than that, where do you think that's coming from? Is it because you've been just dissatisfied? I mean, it sounds like you haven't been totally dissatisfied, but it's interesting that you're, I mean, you're really throwing yourself into a situation where anything could happen. Yeah. In a I way. Just, I don't feel like I'm dissatisfied with my life. Right. I feel, I love Amarillo. I think I have a very great life. But yeah, I think it all comes back to comfort in a way. And I know for me, and I think Dexter's similar, but I'll let him speak on this. For me, I don't think I've ever challenged myself. I mean, I've always done well in school, mm-hmm. but even growing up, I, I never dreamed of, I never thought I'd actually do something, which maybe sounds terrible, but like my mom was a stay-at-home mom, so I just assumed I'd be a stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. I never really dreamed of much. Mm-hmm. And I never thought I could. And so even when I went to college, I thought I'll get a college degree. And I was originally just going to be a high school teacher. And mm-hmm. then I realized I actually did not want to do that because I didn't like writing lesson plans. Um, but then I didn't know. I was just I've always just accepted things because I didn't know I could do anything. And it wasn't until after Dexter and I went back to college the second time that it between Dexter being very encouraging, I had a few really encouraging professors that I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm capable of doing things. Absolutely. Which sounds weird. I don't know. It doesn't sound weird, though. I think it's, a lot of women yeah, struggle with that. I just feel like, of course I have decisions. Of course I can make things. But I also have never felt that way. And it's, I don't know, it's weird to say because I, I had a great childhood. I had great parents. I've but felt I, that, too. Yeah, it just feels weird to be able to think that I can actually do things. And mm-hmm. I've never, ever challenged myself. And now I just want to. I just want to do anything that's well, I, challenging. And I have a, yeah. Just to prove that I can almost. Yeah. yeah. I have a couple of perspectives on that. One, we're not doing something as crazy. You know, I mean. It, yeah. It's, and, you do have. A, there's a bit of. In a, a lot of, yeah. in a lot yeah. of ways, it's not like we're. We're not moving away from something per se. So yeah. much as moving towards, towards something. something. Yeah. Um, that, that would be like kind of one thing. But then the, the other thing is I think what we're hitting on, it's interesting because like with our society as a whole, we have a lot of the times it's identity politics. Mm-hmm. So it comes down to women feel this way or uh, this or that. And and I, I do I genuinely think to, to kind of get to an earlier point, I think that this is a generational thing. Like I think um, the the doubt that y'all feel that I feel, I think if you kind of go across probably anybody in our range of ages where we all kind of feel like, and I don't think I can do that. You know, like, I don't think that's for me. I don't think I can be the professional in the room. I don't think I can be the one that's on the stage or whatever, you know, like there's there, which is strange because I think some of the older generations, um, are against us or I wouldn't say against us are um, down on us or diss us or whatever for being like the, everyone gets a trophy generation. Um, But it does seem to me like there is this slight uh, not feeling like we can do it kind of a thing. I don't Mm. exactly know. It's just that kind of popped in my head when I heard y'all talking about that, Mm. because I do think uh, now granted, I do think that the being a woman, you know, is, is an added layer to that. I do think that 
identities do play a role. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that's kind of to the, to the point, not necessarily running away from, from something, but running to, towards something is mm-hmm. I kind of want, I want the feeling, I want my boys to have the feeling that it's like, no, I mean, you get to make some of these decisions. Right. You kind of have control over what you're doing with your life. Yeah. And such an important time for them to know that in the direction that the world is headed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's I feel when, like you have agency. Yeah. Just, I've been thinking about that for both of you. What it, what it, what does it feel like to have kids in a time when the environment is crumbling? You know, we're looking at a future where we may have multiple pandemics in the next, <laughs> you know, how, you know, mm-hmm. for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. We don't, I mean, Though it's just technology is changing rapidly, rapidly. I mean, there's so many, there are so many things that I think I would feel if I were to consider have, having kids or if I had kids and, and I, yeah, I can understand the feeling of wanting to be very intentional, especially now. Yeah. Well, it's, it's also see like when you're saying that kind of stuff, it actually makes me excited in a way because and that's one of the things I want to do with this podcast is like, how does Dexter have a uh, impact on the world? Not there's, I mean, one person fi- and one firefighter town. in Amarillo, Texas, um, no education, just kind of a normal dude who's mm-hmm. not particularly charismatic or anything, you know, uh, well, in a world that is very destabilized, that's whenever it presents opportunities. It's a dynamic environment versus a static environment. Mm. And I think that that's, to me, like, even like, as you were saying that, I was like, yeah, yeah, here we go. <laughs> here we go. You know, yeah. like even to play off the zombie apocalypse, you know, one of the things we talked about in that episode was how uh, there's a character Glenn in The Walking Dead mm-hmm. who was like a pizza delivery guy in the real in the normal world, but then in Zombie Apocalypse world, he's he's, a hero. he's the man, you know. <laughs> it allowed and, him to to um, bust out of like these confines that he was yeah. living with. Yeah, the social norms yeah. and stuff. And see, I think that that's what really excites me, um, and on like a larger scale, like with women, you know. It's like it, we're not in the same stable world mm-hmm. that we were 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot more roles mm-hmm. if you're willing to to do the do the role, you know, like get out of your comfort zone right. and do something, you know, like yeah. it, the it's a little bit more open. The opportunities are a little mm-hmm. bit more open. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you've ever watched Mr. Robot. I have no. to bring it back at least once an episode uh, because <laughs> it's my favorite it. show. Okay. But there's a line that just a character says because it's kind of um, dystopian. Yeah. It kind of like has a like a dystopian look at society. Maybe like a revolutionary look or, you know, what would happen? What would a revolution in today's society look like? Mm-hmm. Kind of like that viewpoint. And it's set in current times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very um, current. So one of the lines a guy says is, it's an exciting time in the world right now. And I, I seriously, like, I think of that every day. I'm like, it's an exciting time. Like, it, it's it's scary and unknown. 
Yeah. But what an exciting time. Yeah. These are the times that things are shifting. Yeah. And I do think of it with Emmett and Callahan. I do try to be very intentional about um, not being scared of change, which is one of the reasons like I, I want them to experience change because yeah. their world is probably going to change a lot. Right. I have no idea in which ways, mm. but it's probably going to change. Mm-hmm. And I just see people around me being so scared because change is so uncomfortable. And that's whether it's for good or for bad, they they get scared. Mm-hmm. And I just don't want I don't want Emmett or Callahan to be scared of change itself. Mm-hmm. Now, if there's something else to be scared of, fine. But mm-hmm. it is. It's with all this stuff going on. It's like, how do I teach my kids to be resilient and brave? Well, mm-hmm. seeing these, this one thing, I feel like you could probably comment on. I was thinking about this. Is you know, you go back. Uh, let's go. Dang, I guess it would probably be about 70 years ago now. But like rock and roll breaking onto the onto the big scene, right? And you have all of these people that are all probably dead now. And they're like, we have got to be careful with this thing, with this rock and roll music, <laughs> right? We've got to shelter our kids because we don't know what this is going to lead to. Mm-hmm. Well... It leads to 2020, you know, <laughs> and so rock and roll is what got us into this mess. Well, but, but you know what I'm saying? You know, yeah. like, I mean, progress is what has gotten us to this point. Uh-huh. And so, um, now pro- progress is a two sided coin. It's going to be good and bad. Right. And the bad is going to progressively get worse as the good mm. progressively gets better, mm. you know? And, and so it's kind of one of those things like I, that's when I, I'm trying to almost cultivate the modern mindset of not being too critical of the past while also not being nostalgic right. of the past right? and having my eyes open wide enough now to not be scared of the now, like we were listening. Do you know who Nipsey Hussle is? Mm-mm. He's he's dead now. I think he got murdered, but he's a he was a rapper, and he we were listening to it coming here. And I mean, I think a lot of uh, older males. I, I say older. I mean probably older females too. But uh, if you're nervous about rap music you're not going to like anything he has to say. <laughs> but for me, I I'm like, I'm listening to it. And I'm like, I kind of, I don't, we were talking, I don't understand his social context necessarily, or the life he lived when he was growing up, but I really appreciate his expression mm-hmm. and I appreciate the sentiment and the art. And it's just kind of like, okay, in 20 years, Emmett's going to be listening to something mm-hmm. that's going to be highly offensive to my ears. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. but I, I've got to be careful to, to not be like projecting right. my, my experience onto right. that new thing, that new art or that new movement. Yeah. Um, I don't exactly know where I was going with that, but just this, you know, not being scared of progress. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, not letting the negative side, like for instance, pandemics. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're gonna have these pandemics are gonna come through, but I don't think that the pandemics are gonna come through like smallpox came through. You know, like this isn't the worst pandemic that the United States has had. Mm-hmm. The worst pandemic happened 
500 years ago to the Indians with smallpox. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's kind of like, yes, we have a hard scenario that we're going to be dealing with, but is it so bad that we should re- respond to it in a optim or in a uh, pessimistic way? Yeah. You know? Well, I think it's an interesting point to bring up art into that conversation um, because you, I mean, we were talking beforehand about kind of pulling in perspectives on modern art in these times. And I think, yeah, I think it's a context where lots of questions can be asked without answers. Right. Mm. And, um, or just for, yeah, for the question to be kind of an end in itself in a way. Um, to exist there and for people to take that. And yeah, so I mean, it is interesting thinking about what role art will play in the future in your kids' lives, even in a place, you know, I mean, there's, we could talk about all different contexts for art and all different Mm -hmm. kinds of art, but how does that play into the future that we're looking at, you know? And like the the nervousness around my boys, you know, like this nervousness of like, of course, as a father, I want to protect them. But at the same time, I I want them to like grow into men. I want them to grow. I want them to be not men and the, but just fully realized human beings, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's kind of like, can you become a fully realized human being without being a product of your time? You know, without, without engaging with your time, like, um, I I kind of and now granted I don't think that this trope remains the same today, but I always think of like the homeschooled kid whose parent was homeschooling them because they wanted to protect them. Like from a the sheltered world. homeschooled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, one that it's not about educating your kid better. Yeah, it's about protecting your kid from the world. Well, yeah. then you then you lose all of these aspects yeah. of the world that are yeah. yours. Like it's a weird thing that I've thought about a lot because. You know, I pray about Emmett and Callahan, and half the time I never know what to pray for. Mm. Because there's a part of me, of course, that's a mom that says, please protect my children. Right. Give them a safe lifestyle. Right. Just something safe. Keep them safe. Right. Don't let anything bad happen to them. I'm sure that's a very deep survival thing within yeah. you. Yeah. But then I, when I think about it, it's like, is that is that really what I want for them? I mean, is that really what I think that they are designed for? To be safe. Right. No. And if I, I mean, truly, I would love for them to step into whoever it is that they are boldly, bravely, and to take on the new world, whatever that may be. That's what I truly want for them. And to play a role in whatever form, whether it's small or large, I want them to be, to do that, mm-hmm. to interact with their world. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's a, I'm scared of that, mm-hmm. but that's life. And mm-hmm. I think about art. And at least when I think about literature, because that's the art I'm most familiar with, Mm -hmm. most of it was produced by hurt people. Right. And it's like you almost need some sort of suffering to produce something so beautiful. And so it's a weird thought as a mom. It's like no one wants their kids to suffer, but that's experiencing life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's just like you went just the right amount of suffering without it being too much. (laughs) (laughs) Just enough. To appreciate things, but not too much to where you kind of go crazy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a it's a weird 
weird thought. It's been one of the things I've thought a lot about in graduate school. Um, and I can just tell a little bit of the background there, but I'm for people that don't know who I am. I am an artist and um, I've been working for the last four or five years with material um, focused on my mom and her, she, my mother has early onset dementia. She's had it for about 10 years. And so I entered a graduate program last year focused on video art and kind of grappling with how to move forward as an artist in that space. And it's been one of the things I've really had to, to understand for myself is how do you express deep pain <laughs> through the work and how do you, how do you allow those experiences in your life to propel you forward and to help uh, create dialogue for other people also to invite other people into that conversation. And I think, um, it's just something that before I hit a certain point in my artistic career, it, n it never occurred to me that pain had such a value, you know, there wasn't really, um, it, it wasn't even really something I would say I was taught in school in the arts. The, the teaching was more about how to create something aesthetically beautiful, um, but not how to incorporate life experience and like the depth of your life experience and pain into the storytelling. And, um, yeah, I just think it's interesting to think about that from the perspective of being a parent, raising children, how do you cultivate that kind of perspective that there is value in pain? <laughs> um, while also yeah wanting naturally wanting a, a, a level of safety for your kids I mean yeah what's the balance there and how do you yeah we will figure it out as we go <laughs> well I mean it is it is a it's a very fun thing to think about in like a like a terrible way but I mean on the fire department I've seen some like really sad stuff and I don't think kind of interesting how you talk when you were in art school they were just teaching you the aesthetics mm -hmm. well I and I don't know your your art teachers but I imagine if you had this conversation with them they would probably be able to tell you a thing or two about pain mm -hmm. as well right oh, yeah. or or tell you a thing or two about emotion or they might even get mad at you when you turn in some art that is purely aesthetic and lacks emotion or, yeah. you know, like that I've might be had a, those conversations. Yeah, that might yeah. be a criticism. Right. And, yeah. and I think, uh, back to some of the, the things that I still mull over things that I've seen and, uh, situations that I've seen. And there is a realization in my mind that is like, okay, I didn't, that, that experience wasn't for that time. That experience is maybe for whenever I'm 45 or 50 or 60 mm. and I'm working on art or like I'm working on something, right? It's like that in the moment, it I didn't even bring a tear to my eye. It didn't even make me flinch. I went right on to the next thing and, you know, like I, my, one of my buddies was in town the other day and, uh, we were just talking and catching up. I hadn't seen him in a long time. 
and he was like, he said some, we were talking about something and he was like, yeah, he, he was like, do you remember that time you came in the can? You were at the Canyon. So I went to the Canyon to go rock climbing with him. And the night before we had responded to a murder, suicide, hmm. an attempted murder, suicide. And so I'm out there the next morning that happened at like five in the morning. And now I'm like rock climbing at nine thirty, ten o'clock with my homies out in the boulder field or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, and it just kind of comes up through, through the conversation, like, uh, about what went on last night. And that, and to me, I didn't even remember going to the Canyon that next day. I mean, it, and honestly, I, it's not like I linger or think about that kind of stuff very often. But was, what was interesting is he was just like, he was like, yeah, I was trying to think like, wow, this dude just saw some crazy stuff. And now he's just at, that's what Blake was saying. He was like, mm-hmm. he just saw some crazy stuff. Now he's out in the boulder field. That's weird. <laughs> but it's almost like your art teacher just teaching you aesthetics, mm-hmm. right? That's all you were hearing. That's all you were, you were learning in the moment. Because almost you don't have the emotional depth yeah. yet, you know. You don't have the brain to be able to to process that. I've thought about that sometimes because I think about what I learned of art as an elementary student or high school or college undergrad, and I feel like I hit this point maybe by the time I was just about to graduate my undergrad degree in fine arts, where I I finally started to see one kind of glimmer of what it really is in its fullness. But up to that point, I, yeah, as you're saying, I felt like the teaching had been more about aesthetics. It was kind of this like, you know, something much more basic. And when I look back, I think I wish they had challenged me more, but I also don't think I don't, I think what you're saying is true. I don't think I could have understood the fullness of what I feel now when I, even just like when I witness the work that's being made by my classmates in school, for instance, I don't think I could have held the fullness of what is there from the place that I was at because I wasn't, I had to experience some life before I could appreciate it. And certainly before I could make it. You oh know? yeah. Well, I always think about this with music because now like a song will hit different. Now that I'm 32, yeah, but I'm yeah. like, I liked this song when I was 16. <laughs> yeah. Like I know I did. Like yeah. I liked this song. And now you but hear now it. Now I hear it. Like you yeah. were saying that glimmer. Like you're like, yeah. whoa, I, I've been listening to this song for years. I didn't even hear it yeah. until now. You know, yeah. it's yeah. cool. And I think that's one of the unique aspects of art that a lot of people who are not art oriented don't understand is that you can look at the same picture and see something different. Mm-hmm depending on who you are Mm -hmm. when you're looking at the picture, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it is, it's a crazy. Yeah. And it's it's something so beautiful about art. I I remember when I first started working, I worked in museums for about 12 years before I went back to graduate school. And I remember when I first started, I would get questions from people all the time to, they wanted me to take them on tours through the space and explain everything Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, like tell them what it meant. And I, I always felt I didn't like being in that position because I didn't feel like 
they were looking for one answer. You know, they were looking for like a rote description this is of what, what the is. thing is. And that's just not, <laughs> art's not fun that way. I don't think, I don't, you know, I mean, and maybe that's why I'm art an artist, but I, I, I kind of resented in a way this kind of like pressure to tell people this is what it's about because I wanted for people and I would, I usually wouldn't, I wouldn't take them on tours and I wouldn't answer questions. I would kind of like, you know, if anything, just give them a ticket and <laughs> tell them, go see this show or whatever. Sure. And you know, I, I wanted people to ask their own questions. Have you ever um, like learned anything about Zen or, or read anything mm -hmm. about that? It, mm -hmm. To me, that kind of had a, a Zen vibe. It's like you go to the, to the Dalai Lama and you say, <laughs> tell me the meaning of life. Yeah. And he says, puppy. And you're like, what? I need to go get a puppy? Or what, what does that mean? What does that mean? You know, but it's kind of one of those things. Like if you're going to him to ask what the meaning of life is, then you're not on the right path yet. You know, the meaning of life is going to be different and you can't rely on somebody else to give you the meaning of life. You have mm -hmm. to like self-actualize it. And I think that's what's, very frustrating and I'm sure I've been in that same position before where I'm like hey can you explain this art to me and the artist is like like that's not how it works this is not the game that we're playing you know right. and I mean but it, I have to say I mean it's of course it's a fair question of course oh, yeah. if that's I mean I feel the same way when I talk to my friends who are accountants or you know <laughs> or I mean I don't know I don't know anything about fighting fires for instance I don't know what it means to be a fireman so it's fair those questions are fair mm, to a degree though to because at least to get started but, like what am I looking for right. or what is some context well, and, and right. some I, of do, that. And of course, I do think yeah. that there yeah, is some teaching of, of course and that's why we have context. curators yeah, and that's why too. we have you know people I mean Certainly there's professions of people that are tasked with educating people about the arts. That's, you know, that's a huge part of it. And it's a, it's a privileged position for me as a person who's gone through a lot of art education to say, you know, just to be like, figure it out. But it is, I do think that there's like a push and pull that, you know, where I think sometimes we can over explain or we have, we have a, I can only speak for myself. I mean, I have a desire sometimes to know the ins and outs of a thing in its completion and to have one answer. And um, I don't know. I just don't think that's always, I mean, art's just not that way. Yeah, there's a lot. I think of it too with school, because I mean, like reading, I think people, teachers start in like middle school. I mean, probably even elementary school, I don't know, trying to get kids to engage with books more than yeah. just reading them, but engaging. Yeah. And that takes years. Yeah. You know, you almost have to start a kid yeah. as a kid yeah. and hope by maybe high school that yeah. they can actually read a book and get yeah. something out of it other than yeah. just the words. Yeah. But yeah, it takes, it takes years yeah. to get to that spot or at least um, a certain maturity. Yeah. So for kids, I don't know if an elementary middle school kid can engage with it too much because they're just not right. there yet yeah but they're practicing they're reaching and it takes levels. practice yeah yeah but i guess in school there's only that one type of art that they really look into which is interesting yeah i mean what i guess mean there's, there's just one kind well like art i guess i i classify books in with art right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
And so we take English class. And from the time of elementary school, we're practicing writing Mm -hmm. and engaging with text in that way Mm -hmm. for tests, Mm -hmm. you know, like stars Mm -hmm. tests, whatever it is nowadays. You have to write a prompt. You have to read things. But then, I don't know, it's not to like middle school that you even get to take art class. And I never even hardly took it because I already had other electives. So it's kind of interesting because I almost know nothing about pictures picture art you know i don't how else we would classify it yeah i can talk about books but i i never learned anything else about paintings Mm -hmm. so it's kind of interesting that schools really harp on this one um medium right but not on others not as much on music not as much yeah it's kind of i guess i've never really thought about that before so it's interesting because I, I did in this episode want to take like a quick dive in because you were at the Museum of Modern Art, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So like, what does it mean? Like, what does modern art mean? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> There's more than one definition in that case, because modern can refer to a specific time period in art, art history. It's actually starts like in the late 1800s. Like think about Van Gogh, like right? The uh, what is what is the um what is the Rites of Spring, um, what is that opera called? Opera House in Paris. That was like the first modern building. Do you know oh, which one I'm talking about? I don't. Okay, continue though. I'm actually reading a book over this called The Rites of Spring. Okay, and it's all about um the cultural side mm-hmm. uh before and during World War One. Mm. And and one of them, it, I know she had a book. Guthrie, you had a book by Gutrich Stein in there, uh-huh. but Gucci she was Stein, actually yeah. at the debut of this. The Beau the, Arts? No. Is that the name of the opera? House? I, I'm not sure. Anyway, it's it's a very it's like the first modern concrete modern structure, okay. and it's this new opera house that this guy made, and they they debuted the Rites of Spring, which was a. a uh, ballet that this guy did with the Russian ballet, but it was very modern. Like mm-hmm. it was, it was the first one where Russian they convention. Yeah, they didn't care about. I don't think I can pronounce this, but the Theater des Champs Elysees. Yes. something of that sort. Yeah, Is that what like you're that. talking about? Yeah, but it was like the. First, I doubt that's how you pronounce it, but it was the first lines. modern, like modern building. But it was interesting because. Uh, in the ballet, the the dancer intentionally like beforehand it was there's no angles. That's how like ballerinas dance. You weren't supposed to present your body with any angles. Mm-hmm. And he intentionally did right angles with his elbows and with his knees, and it was very, you know, it still sounds like classical music to me. Mm-hmm. But I guess at the time it was very revolutionary. It was mm-hmm. this modern the thinking behind it. Yes, yeah. and so it was really interesting because it did seem to me like a large portion of the modernness of it mm-hmm. was the break in the convention. Like mm-hmm. that was the modern thing. Yeah, definitely. And a lot of that is Marcel Duchamp. He was a, an artist who was the first artist to like usher this into the world. Mm. That Art is not about the object. It's about the idea. Mm. And um, anyway. So, so like yeah. kind of the birth, like the birth of meta or is it like, yeah, you could say that there's some, yeah, something Along those lines. So it was funny because we were talking about what? You guys oh, well, I was just going to ask then because I think I know what you're about to ask. So let me ask a question before that. So modern art, would you classify 
more, I guess when we, yeah, let me go back. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe I should go back to the question that Dexter asked. Oh, like what exactly when you're looking at like pictures or like what establishes a piece as modern art? Mm Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, so I can I can do maybe this is a good thing I can like do the definition over of modern. Yeah, so modern can refer to two different things. It can refer to the time period, which in art history refers to the late eighteen hundreds, but also modern as the concept refers to a way of thinking in which art is more about the idea than it is about the object. So it is a bit of, like when people say the Museum of Modern Art, the Museum of Modern Art originally started with a collection that was meaning they own artworks that are part of this time period where artists were, you know, making artworks in this vein. But now the Museum of Modern Art because I guess we could say that modern art as the time period ended. Um, actually, I don't know. I don't know what the specific date range would be. It went from maybe like the late 1800s into, let's say, the 50s when we have um, what's called um, abstract expressionism, which is like Jackson Pollock, people like that. <clears throat> So then after that comes what's considered contemporary art. So mm. if you go, if you walk I guess in contemporary art, I right, think is what we're maybe talking right. So about. when you walk into the museum of modern art, you have historically what would be considered part of the modern art movement. And then you also have contemporary art and post-contemporary. So there's, you know, although it's, it's, it's now there's terminology that goes, there's to terminology it. Yeah. and it is confusing and it's very much its own lingo. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's how I would okay. describe it. Okay, I think we are talking about contemporary art, mm-hmm. like whenever we were discussing it. Well, like a lot of, um, I guess I'm just going to continue to reference Joe Rogan a whole bunch in this episode. <laughs> I've been Go getting way better about not doing that, uh, but there, it's funny because he has this time where he, or this, he talks about it, I've heard him talk about it in a bunch of different episodes, where he went to like the L.A. County Museum of Modern Art. Okay, yeah, LACMA. Yeah, but mm-hmm. it was uh, contemporary art. Mm-hmm. So he said, like, he's like, I walked in, and there's this plexiglass box sitting <laughs> on the floor. And I'm like, this is horse shit. Where's the <laughs> art? You know, and he was like, oh, everything around was just bullshit. It's just, you know, it looks like somebody throws a toilet seat up on the wall over here, and this and, and that, art. and then it's art, you know, and he's riffing and being, mm-hmm. you know, being uh being Joe Rogan Rogan about it but what was interesting is like as he was talking about it to a certain degree I agree with him like I do think more so as a culture this is not specifically about artists specifically but we have this tendency to like almost like we slipped we almost slipped into it earlier when we were like what is art or you know like mm-hmm. whenever mm-hmm. i don't i don't want to define it for you <laughs> you you know like almost this um i don't think that's what we were doing but we were we were <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. we were getting close yeah but it gets nebulous it's kind of one of those things where i i do sometimes it's like just because somebody has the 
authority to define this as art. Now mm-hmm. it is art, no matter mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, which to me seems contemporary in in thought. It's kind of like, but that's what I was telling Shannon is another thing that I could see being in there that a lot of people would diss on or say is stupid is like a fire hydrant, mm-hmm. you know. It, to bring it back home for me a little bit, but like if somebody had a fire hydrant sitting up on the thing and somebody walk in and be like, this isn't art. It's just a fire hydrant. Right. Well, what's interesting is we paint plugs in Amarillo. So we have to go around and actually with like paintbrush, just paint it red, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to, or we do orange, but you know, to make it. Uh, Meaning the opening on the fire. No, hydrant. no, no. Like oh. the hydrant, the whole hydrant. Okay. Just to make it noticeable. Well, to make it noticeable, but also to make it, you know, paint chips off and everything oh, okay. and just kind of make it look uniform, I guess. Mm-hmm. But there's a whole bunch of different styles of fire hydrants. And if you get to looking at them, it, it's, it's just a tube that comes up with two tubes that come off or three tubes that come off of it mm-hmm. and a plug, you mm-hmm. know? But they do, they get to where they're, they have these shapes in there, you know, there, there is like a artistic element of it, even though it was just mass produced, well, yeah, engineered, you know? And so that's, yeah. To, to say it was like, that's what we were talking about. Even on the way here is there's an aspect of it that it's like, we almost can't see the art that's around us because we're so used to it. It's It's so ubiquitous, but -hmm. it's actually pretty impressive what people do and create nowadays. Right. And like 200 years from now, somebody might look at that fire hydrant and say, wow, that's a really cool piece of art, you know, (laughs) or that plexiglass box or whatever. I was going to say, I mean, it's one of the defining characteristics of modern art. The artist that we were talking about earlier, Marcel Duchamp, one of the things he did that kind of set the course in a different direction was he um, put a bicycle wheel on top of a wooden stool. He turned it upside down and maybe it was a unicycle wheel. It was just one wheel kind of like screwed upside down into this stool and presented it as art and said, this is a ready-made, you know, these were two, elements he hadn't manufactured himself things he found probably on the streets of Paris that he just decided to combine and make into a piece of art and of course people were aghast saying but you know you didn't labor over this in your studio for hours upon hours but his idea was that art is it's about more than that and it is interesting I mean what you're talking about too is kind of the overlap between art and design and where is the line between those things. And I do think that so much of what we see in our everyday lives is art and we don't consider it art in the formal sense of the word, but it's one of the things that I think is interesting about MoMA or other similar museums that have design collections because you can go into their galleries and see, for instance, like the first Apple computer, or Mm, you can see an old vintage car, or you can see an interesting example of a helicopter or, you know, things that certainly have had so much poured into them in terms of the design and the aesthetics and the functionality. And why should we not consider that as art as much as we do a painting? Yeah. Yeah. Well, something we discussed on the way here I feel like there's an aspect of art that we expect to be um, just talent. So I feel like a lot of times I look at art 
or a book or whatever and think, well, it's it's art or literature whenever I think I can't do it mm. because it's produced by someone greater. Right. And then there's this idea, too, I feel like of, well, no, anybody can produce art. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting way to look at things to to think either is art something that can only be produced by someone special or gifted versus no, everyone's an artist and everyone could produce art if they tried. Well, and what is the definition of special in that context? Yeah. You know, what is the what does that refer to? I mean, I keep thinking of this quote that I think I said in one of your previous one of our previous conversations on the last podcast, which is something Andy Warhol said, art is what you can get away with. <laughs> so there is an element to it in contemporary art where <laughs> there's the talent aspect that we traditionally think of where it's like, you know, the time and the labor and the education that you're putting into learning the craft of the thing. But then there's a lot of other factors like courage, like ingenuity, like imagination, like, um, I don't know, the willingness to fail. I mean, there's there's so much more to it. There can be so much more to it. Yeah. Than, well, than... I, I think about it sometimes, um, you know, we, we just finished our back patio, and so it's concrete. And uh, have you ever tried flattening out concrete? I like a drive, have. like it's a driveway, a or yeah. you know something. Yeah. Were you good at it? Oh uh, yeah, you know. After you do it for a while, you get into the rhythm of it. See, I was terrible at it. I still am <laughs> terrible. At it. Like, I mean, I like I'll grab it and I, I'm trying to flatten, and it starts sticking to to the yeah. smoother, and then and then it's kind of one of those things where it, you're trying, you're just met, you know, it's it's a it's a craft, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, the guy we hired to do ours, uh, Felipe, he is a like an artist when it comes to to the concrete. You yeah. know, I mean, like he put the right slope on it. He put lines in it mm-hmm. where he needed to. He built stairs. Mm-hmm. He he smoothed it out perfect. I mean, it's like one of those things when you're looking at it, and it's like, okay, it's just a slab of concrete, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's um. A craftsman made it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it it is when you start to like break down what is art, you Mm -hmm. know, or what is Mm -hmm. this or what is that, you know, um, one of the things, uh, I'm trying to remember what in reference it was to like sheetrock on a house or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, when you do it perfectly, people don't notice it's there. Right. You know, and so like almost the beauty of it is that it's not there. Right. There's also, yeah, there's a famous quote by Dieter Ram, I think that's where he said, good design is no design. Mm. You know, where you look at something and you really don't even think about the fact that it someone was behind the, yeah, you know, the crafting of it. Right. It's almost like you see yourself in it. Like you can almost... This is my like your computer, or right? My comu- this is my computer, <laughs> even though in like a uh, you know Walden like a throw aspect. No, you're that's you didn't not make the computer. That's not your computer. <laughs> that's just something you bought, you know. And so it is interesting, you know. Like yeah, it's how much of it you don't see is actually that is the art, and it's in an in a in a way, you know, is the art is being unseen, but. So I don't know. I don't, I don't exactly know where that tangent was going, but I think to bring it full circle, 
I've thought a lot about our society, COVID, raising kids. Like I, I, I've thought of that a lot, of course, with just the time we're in mm-hmm. and, and, and how I feel about it. And I think art is something that I keep coming back to that when you look throughout history, it's always been there. Like humans have always produced mm-hmm. art. Mm-hmm. And it's such a beautiful thing that even in the face of like destruction and catastrophe and right. revolution, people are producing art. Right. And you see throughout art history that in the times when there was civil unrest, in the times when it seemed like the world was falling apart, those are the times when art changes and then things move forward. You know, there's like these breaks. I mean, abstract expressionism is an example of that. People were dealing with the, just the tragedy of these, of World War II specifically. And then all of a sudden it makes a shift, a dramatic shift in the way people express themselves. And, you know, society is ushered into a new way of thinking. So, yeah, it's so true. So it's almost, I don't know, it's, it's hard because people are experiencing pain, but there's such a beauty in the ability to produce art and that humans yeah. have always done that, will always do that. Just a, it's an optimistic thing. Yeah. There's so much hope in it. Yeah. That there is beauty in there. Yeah. Beauty in the destruction. <laughs> All right. We'll wrap it up on that, on that note. So, Aaron, thank you. Thank you. This is yeah, such a lovely no, conversation. Yeah, super fun. And um, I'm probably going to record an outro separate, too. I think I'm going to start doing that. Cool. I'm going to do an outro separate and an intro separate. So, anyway, um, thank you for coming on the show, Shannon. Um, uh, world out there, peace out. <laughs>